Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, standing next to, you won't believe it, Sister Mrs. Professor Lynn Wilder, former BYU professor, former Latter-day Saint, uh, present-day Christian, and author of a new book, an excellent new book called Unveiling Grace. I am just going to hand this. She doesn't want it to go down this way. You got to come in here and act like you love me. I'm just going to hand this over to you. I'm going to let Lynn tell you about the book, where it came from, et cetera. And when she's done, I'll come back and we'll ask a few questions. And then when we do calls, if you have questions for Lynn, make sure you say, this is for Lynn, and we'll yank her back out of the audience. All right, here you go. Thanks, Sean. You know, there's a story in the New Testament about 10 lepers. It's a story about healing. It's a story about salvation, really. 10 lepers were healed. They were made clean. I, in 2006, one night when I surrendered my life to Jesus, was made clean. Of those 10 lepers in the Bible, only one returned to thank Jesus. I'm nearly 61 years old, and I honestly could do nothing better than spend every day to thank my Savior for the freedom in Christ that I have, for the God of grace that I now know, for the Jesus who's blood covers all sins, and whose atonement was enough. I today stand before you as a servant of Jesus Christ, and as one of those lepers who has been cleansed, and who is more than grateful for what Jesus has done in my life. I surrendered to the Jesus of the Bible in 2006, one really cold October night here in Utah. From that point on, God began to teach me through the New Testament things that I didn't know before, things that were amazing to me. Um, This God of the New Testament is omnipotent. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent. He can be all places at one time. And He can be with all people at one time. When I began to know this greater God, he began to answer my prayers. He began to teach me through the word. Life became a little bit like IMAX 3D. (laughs) Two years ago, I had kind of a supernatural series of events where I woke up one morning, I was praying, God told me I needed to write, and I'm laughing because the only person that I can remember that ever told me that before was Sean McCraney about five years ago when I was on this very show. He said, "Uh, Lynn, you really need to write a book. Well, I never intended to write a book, but last year in four and a half months, the Holy Spirit helped me put together a book about my journey into Mormonism, our family's 30 years very strong in Mormonism, and then our journey out of Mormonism. It's called Unveiling Grace because it's all about the God of grace compared to the God of works. Um, The book is actually really selling very well. Zondervan has been promoting it. We've been on 700 Club and Moody Radio with Janet Parshall and Dove TV and a number of places. I tell you this not because this is my work, but I believe this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is drawing Mormon people to himself like he's calling the Muslims out and revealing himself. I believe that he is calling Mormons out. Hardly a day goes by that I don't hear from someone that was once Mormon who is finding their way to the truth of the New Testament. And as people read this book, many, many Mormons are coming to know Jesus. I pray that you will pick this book up 
the story is not mine. The story is God's. He created the story and it is his. It says in John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, which is in the Bible, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's what happened to me that October night of 2006. I crossed over from death to life. And the God that I met on the other side, he says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. And this is my testimony. The book starts with us going into the Mormon church. Mike and I joined when we were 25 and looking for a church. Like a lot of other people, we thought it was a Christian option. 85% of the people that that convert to Mormonism come right out of biblical Christianity. Mike and I had both been raised biblical Christians, but we did not know the word. So that when the missionaries knocked on our door and taught us, we did not recognize error. 30 years, we were dug in 30 years in leadership positions. Um, I was a tenured professor at Brigham Young University. However, when you become born again in Jesus Christ, you cannot stay. You cannot stay if you're a professor, according to the honor code, and you cannot stay if you're a student, and you cannot graduate from BYU, according to the honor code, if you leave the Mormon faith. What we did was leave a religion. The Mormon faith is a very legalistic, rule-bound religion. And we traded that religion for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A different Jesus than is in the, that Mormons know. The Mormon Jesus didn't cover all sins. There are unforgivable sins. But the biblical Jesus' blood covered all of our sins. That was huge for me that I had a God that was big enough that, that could atone for all sins. Sean, do you have any questions? You, <laughs> bravo, bravo. Where's the book available, Lynn? The book is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com. Uh, you can go to unveilinggracethebook.com and find it, or our website, unveilingmormonism.com. You should be able to find it in any Christian bookstore as well. Excellent. And uh, did I didn't hear you because I had to. Uh, I had to go into my office for a minute. Uh, but uh, what did you tell the audience who you are the mother of? Oh, I, I better do that, yeah. or I'll be in big trouble. Right. <laughs> my husband Michael Wilder and I are the parents of Adams Road. Um, our son. Michael Wilder became born again while on his Mormon mission in Florida, stood, between, stood in front of 60 to 80 missionaries and professed the God of grace, got sent home from his Mormon mission. The church tried to excommunicate him and Mike and I actually didn't take him in. We put him on a plane, got him out of Utah. And that kind of started our searching, although God had already been working with us. Um, at BYU, I was teaching diversity and bumping up against a lot of the racist scriptures that my students were showing me that they believed in. And so God had already kind of prepared our heart. But the journey out was very hard. Sean, it took me almost five years to get rid of all the old teachings and get the Bible in my head until I kind of felt stable again. And then then God had something for us to do. And certainly my thing to do was to write the book. Big stuff. That's yeah. fantastic. One last thing. Are you going to be speaking uh, anywhere soon that you can tell the audience who may be tuning in tonight live? Absolutely. Go to the Unveiling Grace book uh, Facebook page, and I'm uh, 
hosting there where we're going to be. We're going to be around Utah and Idaho until Thanksgiving. So for the next six weeks, we'll be around at churches and Bible studies and anyone who wants to hear how big this God is. Praise God. Thank you so much for everything, Lynn. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And uh, check the book out. Excellent uh, book. Great family who are doing wonderful things uh, for the Lord in terms of uh, ministry to the LDS and people just uh, looking to understand Christianity. We are grateful that you are here with us tonight. Last week, we said we were going to cover the contents of LDS Apostle Dieter Uchtdorf's uh, general conference comments, excuse me, I'm going to put this on really quickly to Seth's standards. And uh, so we're going to do that really quickly. After opening with a story about the amount of dedication it takes to being a Latter-day Saint, uh, Uchtdorf asked a rhetorical question and said, why on earth would anybody want to be LDS? Why would someone join such a church? And he goes on and he says, quote, at a time when many churches throughout the world are experiencing significant decreases in numbers, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, though small in comparison with many others, is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. So he comes off with that statement. I've heard this claim for most of my life as a Latter-day Saint. Um, they sort of act like it's occurring in a vacuum, that uh, people are just running to join the Mormon church because it is so true. First of all, I don't know what it means to be one of the fastest growing churches uh, on the earth. I'm not even sure that that's good uh, when you think about it. Uh, Jesus says, straight as the gate narrows the way, few be there that find it. And they're one of the fastest growing as if that's a good thing. Lady Gaga is one of the fastest growing entertainers in America today. I'm not sure that that's a good thing. So they act like that's a good thing. Uh, but even more importantly, look at the effects they put in to be, the efforts that they put into being one of the fastest growing churches in America. First of all, uh, or in the world, every single Mormon you meet, they are trying to get you to join the church. So they have a, a, a in-home missional effort to get you to not become a Christian, but to join the Mormon church. Secondly, they spend millions and millions of dollars on the internet and in advertising and in marketing to get people to see them throughout the world. And then they have 80,000 plus full-time missionaries throughout the world bringing people in. So in terms of him standing there and saying, we are one of the fastest growing churches in the world, they better be. I mean, or they're doing something seriously wrong. If you have a force like that, you could make, you could make almost anything one of the fastest growing movements in the world. Uh, but the other side is, what, how many people are going out the back door? You know, they can say we have this many baptisms, we're one of the fastest growing coming in, but I want to know who's going out. I mean, how many Lynn Wilders, how many uh, people, Adams Road, how many uh, 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 Connie and Ken's, and how many of all these other, how many are coming out, coming out, coming out that back door? So they got 10 going in, but they got 1,000 going out. They'll never tell you that, because once you're on the records, you're on the records. Uchtdorf goes on, he supplies his reasons for Mormonism being one of the fastest growing, and he gives three. He says, first, it's the Savior's church. He says, it's an active faith, and he says, it provides treasured blessings. Those are the three reasons he says. Uh, and so, it's the Savior's church that uses Masonic rituals to put people into covenantal bondage. It's the Savior's church that proposes a false priesthood that Hebrews clearly shows is not biblical or true. It's the Savior's church that reinstitutes law. It rejects salvation by uh, grace through faith alone. It says the Father was once a man. It admits that uh, Jesus, his church, when Jesus came, he failed at establishing it, that the gates of hell prevailed against him, and Joseph Smith had to come and do what Jesus couldn't do, uh, and, and so this is Jesus' church, they say. Then Uchtdorf says it's growing because it's an active faith, like other Christians are, are not active in their beliefs. Um, sure, uh, you keep people busy, uh, Brother Elder Uchtdorf. You keep them busy, uh, but with what? Work that overwhelms and uh, provides, uh, rather than providing rest, uh, is that what Jesus came to establish? It's a church that is out to build brick and mortar 
uh, establishments around the globe. It is not a church that is there to truly give people uh, activities that are centered on doing what Jesus told them to do. And then he claimed the church provides treasured blessings that are bestowed, he said, upon people through discipline that it provides. It provides discipline through obedience. You are bestowed with blessings. And believe it or not, it's just a system promoting institutionalized behavioralism. It's, it's uh, many institutions in this world provide similar things, I mean, to their adherents, the Shriners, the Communists, the Masons. Every branch of the military provides structure, and if adhered to, there are certain blessings that you would participate in. Even employees of Ben & Jerry's, uh, it, their philosophy provides with them certain rewards for uh, embracing that corporate ideation. Big freaking deal. Take any group that has an established system for living, get people to buy into that, and you have people being blessed by whatever means uh, it is, but herein, uh, or wherein lies eternal life, Uchtdorf. You said it provides blessings so they have a better job, a better savings account. They look more uh, presentable out in public because you're LDS. They have better health laws. They don't smoke. That's a good thing. They don't drink coffee. Probably a good thing. So they benefit by those blessings. You say, so what? What about eternal life, Uchtdorf? Does that come in through your uh, religion? He then wrapped his speech up in something that interests me most, saying, the search for truth has led millions of people to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, there are some who leave the church they once loved. One might ask, if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anyone leave? Notice that Uchtdorf likens Mormonism to the gospel, quote unquote, when he asks, if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anyone leave? It's these little deceptions that drive me stark staring mad when I read their stuff. When they refer to Mormonism as the gospel, um, it's not the gospel, my friends. The good news is not and never has been Mormonism. The gospel is Jesus came, he lived, he suffered for sin, he died, was buried, rose the third day. That's the gospel summarized by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, there's nothing else. That's the good news. Uh, the good news is, is not what this, this phony institution and its false apostles have the audacity to take and then apply it to what they are pumping out and say it's the gospel. That is not the gospel. The good news is not Mormonism. That's not good news. It's bad news because it's bondage and the gospel is good news. It is, he came and he did it for us, you see. See the difference? Uchtdorf, however, does go on and admit that people leave Mormonism for all sorts of reasons and it's not simply because they are lazy and or sinful. This is a bit of a departure because typically when people leave, it's because they can't handle being Mormon and or they're sinful, which is often the case. Uh, but he also adds that the church, due to restored truths of Joseph Smith, honors personal agency, even if it means people are leaving for various reasons, which he admits might include unanswered questions about church history. So they're starting to bre uh, break open here, and they're starting to say people are leaving because of unanswered questions regarding church history. Now, you might think that this is a man being open and honest and trying to bring some light uh, to the, to the stage of Mormonism, and, and there's some people who look at things very Pollyannishly, and they believe that about Uchtdorf. I think that he is working us like a tool. And, uh, and the reason is, the fact of the matter is, they don't have a choice. Other Latter-day Saints know good people are leaving the church. They know that there are people who, uh, Lynn Wilder and the professors or uh, whoever they are, people, Sandra Tanner, who she wasn't an adulteress and she wasn't an alcoholic and she loved the church and the Book of Mormon and she left. Why? Because of this thing that is becoming more and more apparent. So what Uchtdorf is doing is trying to say, okay, we got to start admitting, you know, people are leaving. People are calling the church headquarters probably saying, my brother is a bishop who loves the church and he's leaving. Why? Don't say it's because he's lazy and don't say it's because he's a sinner. I know my brother, he's not. And so they have to do this kind of preemptive strike. So this is what he says. We openly acknowledge that in nearly 200 years of church history, 
and I hate this line, along with an uninterrupted line of inspired, honorable, and divine events, there have been some things said and done that could cause people to question. <laughs> no freaking kidding. I mean, really? Thanks for that admission, Uchtdorf. I mean, I especially like how you say there have been some things that and done that could have, oh my God, it, it just makes us ill. And then he goes on wordsmithing, saying that it takes time and patience to overcome them, or there might be a difference of opinion as to what is fact and what is not. Then in a moment of what I would call forced transparency, he says this, to be perfectly frank, thank you again, Apostle Uchtdorf, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. You mean like Joseph taking on the extra wives, saying it was of God, blacks in the priesthood? Uh, I mean, how, how many times are we gonna talk about here? They may have been, there may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. He said doctrine there. Now, we have finally arrived at some truth, an admission that Mormon leaders have said things that are not in harmony with LDS doctrine. We have that now. It's a great step toward the light, which is one reason this speech is so important while we're covering it. But unfortunately, if the statement is left right there, it is going to continue to obfuscate Mormonism and its leaders and everything else. What I mean by this is the LDS will use it on their blogs and, and, and stuff, and uh, they'll say to anyone and everyone, no matter what the subject is, well, even Apostle Uchtdorf said some of our leaders have made mistakes when they talked about doctrine. So they just kill any arguments against Brigham Young's Adam God and all this other stuff. They just automatically shut it down by that little admission. This is my point to Elder Uchtdorf. He has, to, he has admitted that Mormon leaders have said things that are not in harmony with LDS doctrine. He needs to step up further and tell us what they are. He needs to step up and say, this, these are the things. Joseph Smith said this, we do not believe that. Brigham Young said this, we do not believe. But they, this, is, this is where uh, the uh, spinning, you, you stop the thing from spinning and you say, let's just focus right on it. What are the things? That way we can then, then you have a foot in the door to say, okay, well, if they said those things that weren't right, and it leads to a further uh, decline of all this uh, infrastructure they've built up of men's superior uh, uh, revelations that cannot be challenged or altered. I don't know if it'll happen. Uchtdorf spends four or five paragraphs justifying these errors as mistakes of men, and then he appeals uh, and then he makes an appeal. He says, to those who have separated themselves from the church, I say, my dear friends, there is yet a place for you here. Come and add your talents, gifts, and energies to ours. We will all become better as a result. What? Come and add our talents, gifts, and energies to yours, and we will all become better as a result. What the? I want to go to church to learn about the Lord. I want to go to church to find out more about God from his word. I don't want to go to church to, to give you my energies and my talents and my gifts so that we can all be better as a result. What are you, are you forming a circus? Is that, what the, is that what church is? Let's all come together and unify so that we can all use our gifts and talents for what? I go to church so that I can learn about God. I don't go to church so that I can be part of a system that you're trying to promote. Unbelievable, it's empire building. It's not Christianity. It's all about joining the cause. It's all about progress of the brick and mortar institution, not God. Listen closely, listen. Listen and you'll hear these very sentiments echoing through the halls of history of every man-made movement to ever exist. Come and join us. We need you. We can, we can do it better with you. It's like, wasn't there, a, wasn't there a poster? Uncle Sam, he needs you. Come and die for him. It, that's what it's all about. It's about these systems. That's not Christ is, I died for you. Come unto me. Come to me. That's the difference, you see. Uchtdorf then presents a series of rhetorical questions, statements. I'm just gonna tell you quickly. He first says, as if he's speaking for people who are hearing his speech and they have responses. He says, someone might say, what about my doubts? The next person says, I just don't fit in with people in the church. 
The next one is, I just don't think I can live up to your standards. And then the next one a member might say is, I know a member of the church who is a hypocrite. I could never join a church that had someone with him as a member. So these are all like uh, preemptive questions that people could be giving him as a response to his talk. And each of those queries are met with a more malicious response. To the question, what about my doubts? His response, as we covered last week, is, you know, we all have doubts. They can be good, et cetera. And then he quoted an actor from the television series Gossip Girl who coined the phrase, doubt your doubts first, then your faith. Uh, we laughed about that one, freaking profound. And to the comment, I just don't fit in with you people in the church, his response, once again, springing forth from a humanist heart, not a Christian heart, says, quote, if you could see into our hearts, you would probably find that you fit in better than you suppose. You might be surprised to find that we have yearnings and struggles and hopes similar to yours. Your background or upbringing might seem different from what you perceive in many Latter-day Saints, but that could be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, we need your unique talents and perspectives. Appealing to the ego. The diversity of persons and peoples all around the globe is a strength of this church. Hear what's being said. Hear what he's appealing to. Those with eyes to hear, listen, take note. Then... Just listen to his response to the statement that someone could say, I don't think I can live up to your standards. This is what he says. All the more reason to come. The church is designed to nourish the imperfect, the struggling, and the exhausted. It is filled with people who desire with all their heart to keep the commandments, even if they haven't mastered them yet. Read through the lines again. It's an amazing admixture of words that in the end reveal that he is saying something absolutely deceptive. What he says first is the most odious sentence. The church is designed to nourish the imperfect. Really? Nourish the imperfect? The struggling and the exhausted. Jesus is the one who does this, not your damn church, Uchtdorf. Not your church. Your church is actually designed and it does the exact opposite. It nourishes the perfect. It distances itself from those who truly struggle. And it exhausts the rest of your members in the process. I can use your words, the very next words, to prove that this is deception. Because he says, the church is filled with people who desire with all their heart to keep the commandments even if they haven't mastered them yet. So on the one hand, you say it's a place that's a refuge for the struggling and the tired and the exhausted. And then you say the church is full of people who are doing everything they can to obey all the commandments, even if they haven't mastered them yet. And what you're saying is, on one side of your mouth, you're saying this is a place of great refuge and rest. And on the other side of your mouth, you say the church is full of people who are trying to keep every commandment even if they haven't mastered some of them yet. On this side, you preach perfection, and any church that establishes law as a means to perfection creates exhaustion. On this side, you're saying it's a place that is, is geared for those who are exhausted, and the very paragraph proves the duplicitousness of your mouth. The final remark he suggests might, uh, to why some people leave Mormonism, he says, I know you, uh, as a member of the church who's a hypocrite, I could never join a church that had someone as a member uh, who's a hypocrite. All churches are filled with hypocrites. It's like a red herring. So I won't say much about that, but there is a direct relationship between the laws and demands of a religion and spiritual hypocrisy. Show me a religion that has all sorts of demands for trying to reach perfection, and I will show you a church full of hypocrites. Show me a church that preaches grace, love in the face of grace, Jesus, and I will show you less hypocrites than you've ever seen in your life. And that's just the, uh, that's just the ratio. What really disturbed me though is when he wrapped it up, he, uh, he likened Jesus' apostles. Uh, they were standing with him and a bunch of people had left him. Jesus had just taught that you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh if you wanna be with me. And it says, from that time forth, many people left. It's in John chapter six. 
And, he, and so Jesus turns to his apostles and Uchtdorf mentions this story and he says, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, who sh where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. To this Uchtdorf replied, there are times when we have to answer the same question. Will we also go away? Or will we, like Peter, hold fast to the words of eternal life? It is such a convoluted, convoluted mixture of using a little truth here, a little out of context message there to try to make people believe that leaving Mormonism is akin to leaving Jesus Christ himself. It is not. I was having a conversation with Bishop Earl the other day before we go to the phones and he brought up a great insight he heard on AM820, the radio station. Before we go to prayer, let me share uh, what uh, he said. It's a well-known fact that many people who leave Mormonism leave God, leave Jesus altogether. They become atheists. Uh, well-known fact, especially in this state. When someone leaves a Calvary chapel, they typically will go to another religion, another church, Christian church, Presbyterian, Baptist, something else. It's not a matter of uh, them leaving Jesus. It's because when they were at Calvary Chapel, they learned about Jesus. They understood who Jesus was. They heard from the word who Jesus is. And so when they say, I don't like Calvary chapels anymore, they move on and they'll find hope uh, or a church they like in the Presbyterian movement or Methodist or whatever it may be. Because Jesus is Jesus and they are founded on him, not the institution that they went and belonged to and worshiped and did things with. But more often than not, when a person leaves Mormonism, they abandon God and the organized religion altogether typically leaning toward atheism. Why? The reason is they never knew Jesus. As a Mormon, they never knew Jesus. If they had been taught Jesus as a Latter-day Saint, when you leave Mormonism, you would just segue naturally into a Calvary Chapel or a Baptist. There'd be no problem. But Mormons go directly to atheism often. Why? They don't know him. They say they're Christian, but when people leave the faith, they don't go to a Christian faith. They go to abject atheism, they go to humanism, they go to worshiping aliens and all kinds of crazy things. Look at the forums online of people who have left Mormonism and have not understood who Jesus was. There is the difference. It was a really great point, something to think about. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we love you. This is perhaps one of the most important parts of the program, Lord, and that is unitedly praying for each other, for uh, uh, those who are seeking for truth, those who want to know the truth over religion. And we pray for those who are tuning in now or through YouTube or by going to our site or watching on the archives years later, if it's you and you're searching for truth, Lord, we pray you will touch their heart and show them that uh, truth, saving truth is not found in religion. It's found in a relationship. And we pray that you will pour your spirit upon whoever is listening at this point and you will change their lives and give them new eyes and new ears so that their heart can be healed and they can be converted. We pray for them and our staff, volunteers, everybody in ministry, in Jesus' name, amen. We have John in San Antonio on line one. I have a, a, a brief thing. If we run out of callers, I'll go to it relative to our topic of Calvinism and Mormonism. It would be our talking about total depravity. But let's see what John has to say. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, John. It's great to talk to you again. I've called once before. How dare you? Um, <laughs> I have a quick question for you. Um, I've been really blessed in that uh, my wife has been right there with me as we've explored church history, and, and I've learned a lot both from the Internet as well as from many of the things that you've covered. And as we have separated ourselves from, you know, the, the great building without a foundation and trying to find our identities again in Christ, one of the things as we reevaluate doing things over again, one of, our, one of our plans is to get married again and have a real wedding that we can have all of our family with both the ones that, you know, maybe we're drinking coffee and, and, and the other ones. The other thing that we're thinking about is baptism. And... Um, as we look at uh, some of the things that you've talked about and that we see in the scriptures of people that feel called and have the, uh, the you know, the authority to, to baptize and, and kind of redefining what that is, one of my ideas is really that, you know, we simply with our families go 
and maybe my wife baptizes me and I baptize her just on our own uh-huh. without appealing to any other pastor or anything like that. What are your thoughts on something like that? Go for it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, but the only, the only uh, um, pause that I have in, in that is not the fact that your wife is baptizing you or you're baptizing your wife. Baptism is by believers and, uh, and, and, and that's what you are, so that would be a beautiful thing. In fact, uh, we, I know of a, some good friends of ours who uh, his wife baptized him and uh, they didn't know any better. And uh, it was, I think it was in the, I, I don't know where it was, but it was a beautiful story. But in any case, the problem though is by doing like uh, independent autonomous baptisms, and I learned my lesson here in the state, we used to do open water baptisms. And yes, you are baptizing people who believe in their heart that Jesus is the Christ and you're baptizing them uh, there. It's an outward profession to people looking on that that person is committed to Christ. So if it's just a private setting and there's no church around where you have other people who say, hey, I was there, I saw you get baptized when you have trouble, a crisis of faith down the road. So when you make it kind of insular and nobody gets to see it, it's not really a professing witness. And I can tell you right now, getting water baptized is not for God's benefit. He reads the heart. It's for the benefit of the other believers to see. So I would invite the, the pastor of the church or the church you go to and say, we're going we're gonna to do family baptisms here because we love the Lord. We'd love for the community of, that we're involved in here in the church to come. And, and, get, and see what he thinks about that. You don't need his, there's no priestly or ecclesiastical authority you need from him, but just as a means for them to support you in that, when times get tough, they can remind you, hey, you know, John, you're a, you're a professed Christian. You can't divorce your wife just because you're having an argument over the spaghetti right now. You know, I saw you get baptized and profess your belief in Christ. Do you get that? I do. It's, it's different from... You know, the perspective that I have coming out of the church is that all of these different ordinances are very personal and they're, they have to do with you and God. So the idea that it's a communal or community-based uh, thing is, is something that's a little bit different to wrap my mind around. But yeah. this is one of the aspects that I've pondered as I've, as I've questioned, you know, this whole issue of baptism. Yeah, now I there appreciate would, your perspective. John, there would, be, there would be very smart men and women who would greatly disagree with me and they would believe that the baptism is necessary and that God expects that for him to give you the stamp of approval of being a full Christian. But uh, I, I don't believe there was a baptismal font near the cross. And I think in terms of ordinances, they were nailed to the cross. And I think this is just a thing of obedience you're doing because you love the Lord and you wanna make that outward profession. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really great question you know, though. Well, I appreciate your input on it. I. I I'm gradually working through your shows. I'm on like show 180. And, um, you know, I, I have my mom and I have four brothers who um, are all, I think me stepping out of it has actually polarized them and made them even more devoted than they have before. Yeah. But I want to shout out to them right now, you know, Eva, Spencer, Stephen, Mark, Arthur, because at some point in the future, whether it's 10 years from now or five years from now, I think they're going to go through and watch this and be exposed to the same stuff that I have. And I want them to hear this now so that they can, they can say, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that this information is coming out so that we can really turn ourselves to the true Christ. You got a great heart, John. Wonderful heart. I appreciate what you're doing and look forward. I'll, I'll, I'll continue watching today. Thanks, John. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to go to Tim on line two from Spartanburg, South Carolina, one of my favorite vacation spots, Spartanburg. Uh, John, uh, Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I, have a, I have a question. How, how would someone witness to um, Mormon uh, missionaries? I have a couple that come to my house like once a week for the past two or three weeks now. How do I witness them? Okay. Uh, you know what, I've, uh, I've been throwing this out there because I've, I've tried this a few times and I think it works really well. I would, I would just uh, sit with the elders and I would do it like this, Tim. Can you hear me through your computer? Uh, no, I can't, but I can hear you just fine right here. Okay, I would say something like this. Please tell me what Mormonism can give me 
that I don't already have with my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so you're putting it in their hands to explain to you how their religion is equal to or superior to what Jesus offers you. And they might say, well, you know, uh, we have apostles and prophets. And you tell them to go to Hebrews uh, 3.1 that says Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. They could say, well, we have a priesthood. And you could read Hebrews 3.1. He's our high priest. They could say we have prophets. You could read Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says God in, in, in sundry times spoke through prophets, but today he speaks to us through his son. They could say, well, it's a great way of life. You could read to them, well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They could say, well, it's a great fellowship. You could read passages that talk about him being your friend and never leaving you. You could talk about, they could say, well, uh, you know, we also have a welfare program. He, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He says, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water I give you, you will shall never thirst. Explain to me exactly what Mormonism gives me that my relationship with Christ doesn't give me. And everything that you can do, you can talk about that. You can talk about him being the author and finisher of our faith. You can talk about the body. You can, they'll say, well, it gives you fellowship. I belong to a body of Christ that is made up of members. If I bump into somebody at Kmart who I don't even know, and they see a cross on my neck, or they hear me talking about the Lord, they step forward and say, I'm a brother or sister too. I have a built-in body of believers all around me. You can go on and on and on, talk about rest, talk about he teaches, any ordinances, you can talk about ordinances and how all ordinances are fulfilled in him. That is the approach I would suggest you use. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. All right, you take care. You do. Thanks for watching, bye-bye. Okay, listen, we have an off-air question. Even if the LDS church admits the lies, it is still something the Lord would approve of the Bible says a house built upon sand will fall. All right, first of all, tell the person who's typing to stop the vodka because the sentences are not making sense. <laughs> They're back there laughing. Hey, uh, got a few, uh, got a few uh, emails. Linda says three weeks ago on a program here in Salt Lake, uh, the question came up about polygamy and the host, who is a pastor of the Presbyterian faith, publicly acknowledged that polygamy is accepted and allowed in the Presbyterian faith if a person joins the faith who's already a polygamist. He can't not go and marry an additional spouse as long as he's a member, but he can continue being a polygamist. And uh, she's aghast, and she just, this is horrible, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. Um, Chuck Smith was, got a call from somebody in South America who said, my brother is come to know the Lord and he's a polygamist. He's not LDS, he's just a polygamist. What do you suggest? He has several wives and several children with each of these women. Chuck said, stay married. And that caused the biggest uproar. You have to understand, polygamy is not of the Lord. Polygamy, and we could go through all the passages about it. It's a heinous practice that comes up through men. That's bottom line, that's what it is. Or women who just don't like housework, I don't know. But uh, I'm gonna get in trouble for that. But it, it, it's a product of man, all right? If a man has established marriage with women uh, sexually, that's what marriage is, and it can be ordained by a priest or whatever, but if they have relations and they're married in God's eyes and they have children, what do you want him to do? You want him to take those wives and cast them off like uh, uh, Abraham did Hagar and got rid of her because they couldn't get along? Or is he going to, gonna live up to his obligation? It's not like he becomes a Presbyterian and continues to add wives, which they say is not right. But they say, this is the circumstance that we have. I mean, what are you gonna do with somebody who, who's, had, who's had a sex change operation and comes to know the Lord? Go say, go put the parts back on? I mean, we live in a fallen world. It's an ugly, messy place. And when we start thinking that we can, we're gonna turn the things and fix them 
Jesus came, he, he, he paid for it, he came to a world condemned already, and it doesn't mean the propagation of sin, and it doesn't mean people should start taking on extra wives or doing all that, but it does mean when something comes to the body and it's established in a certain way, and it's not an evil practice, it's not like someone's in, a, in an adulterous relationship and they become a Christian and continue, the, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about marriage here. And so I would agree with the, the host of Ancient Paths, uh, sorry, uh, that's the guy, and I would agree with the, the Presbyterian stance. Otherwise, those women and their relationship to the man with the children are just gonna be kicked out and lost. Sorry if you don't agree with that one. Linda, uh, the one with that off-air question on line one. Linda, you're on the air with a now on-air question. I didn't really want to talk on person to the in the air. Well, now we all know who you are, Linda, so go ahead. Okay, well, okay, the question is, Sean, um, you were talking about uh, uh, before, you know, accept or agreeing that some things had been said and misconstrued and all this by uh, the elders and the different leaders of the church, of the LDS church. But I have a question. Even if all of the LDS uh, authorities admitted to um, everything, to every one of the lies and all the deceptions for all the past 180 plus years, whatever it is the church has been around, uh, wouldn't it still be considered a blasphemous kind of church? Because, you know, it's been built on lies yeah. from day one. And is, is God really, is, is Jesus really going to say, okay, well, you've, you as a body have uh, totally, uh, you know, uh, uh, confessed your sins and all this, and, and now you're good. It's okay, to, you're good to go. Yeah, I, so is it okay then at that point that we follow no. the LDS church because of that? No, but what I'm doing, Linda, is I'm trying to get them to put a crack in their foundation. And so what I'm saying is, okay, Uchtdorf, you've said that some of your leaders have made doctrinal errors in the past. Tell us what they are. So he tells us what they are. And then the, the members will hear, you mean Joseph Smith said that and we don't agree with it? That was a mistake? Brigham Young taught Adam God and we say that was a mistake, it was wrong? How many other things are being taught now that will be declared as wrong later? And what it does is it puts a crack in the, in the foundation. There are so many things that would need to change within Mormonism before it could be part of the body of Christ. But I, I just say that as like, this is the next step now. Do you get it? Well, and I totally agree with you on yeah. that. What I'm saying though is, even if, if the, the elders, the, the authorities agreed that it was all, you know, it, it, was, it was all lies, it was um, all deceptions. Okay. Even though they've confessed and all this, yeah. Um, it was built on lies. How can we? Oh. I'm, I'm no longer LDS. I'm just saying as that. How can how can anybody actually want to belong to a church uh, that has been built on lies? Oh well, let me ask you this, Linda. What if they came out and said everything's been a hoax? We're coming out. This is the. It's all been a deception. We are now going to take down the pictures of the prophets, and we are going to put up a picture of Jesus. We're going to put Bibles in our pews. The Book of Mormon was a con. Doctrine comes pro great price a con. And they do what Takeots did with the Worldwide Church of God, and they do revolutionary changes, and they bring them to the throne of grace. Wouldn't it be a tremendous asset to the world for, for to have the, the buildings and the leadership and the people who many of them do love and they want to please God, they just don't know him. Wouldn't it be great to see a change from the top like that? Even if it's been built on deception, can't they repent and change? Well, here's, here's my thinking. Um, I, don't, I don't know the Bible that well, I'll be truthful. But I, what I have read is that God has a very firm idea of what is okay and what isn't, and what is blasphemy and what isn't, and what is good and what is not. And if it's bad to begin with, how can it turn good? Well, the same way um, I was bad to begin me, with. My, my thinking is that it should be probably dissolved, and those good people that want to become into the body of Christ to be absorbed into other viable and real Christ, uh, Christ church. Well, I, I do see what you're saying. I do pray that we come to that conundrum someday. 
know. Yeah. Hey, thank so, you so much, Linda. Great <laughs> insight. And you sound great on, on the screen. Okay, thank you so much, Sean. All right, Appreciate thanks. Bye. We're going to Matthew in Manassas, Virginia. Matthew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Matthew. Manassas. Matthew? Got an email from a 15-year-old living in Utah, something he wants to ask me. I'm really curious as to why you talk about the LDS Church in such a negative way, especially after 40 years of being in the church. I'm a Mormon, but I have a genuine curiosity as to why you are doing all this. I also wanted to ask you if somewhere in those 40 years of being a Mormon, you got your patriarchal blessing. Uh, That's from Aiden. Yes, I got a patriarchal blessing, Aiden. I was 18 years of age, and... um, and I received uh, things that were, uh, I was told things that were commensurate with who I was as a person at that time. And so the, the patriarch who was in our ward, he knew me personally, he knew what I was like, and everything that he said about me uh, essentially was taking an 18 year old, having him grow up, and what would he be like in the church? He would be like, you know, so the kind of like prophesying of what a person would be, trying to prophesy. I didn't find it to be revelatory really, um, my brother's was extremely rel- revelatory, but then again, I know people who have had them and they were almost identical from the same patriarch. In fact, I have a good bishop friend who's no longer in the church in the Huntington Beach Fourth Ward. He had several girls, one of them my niece. They compared patriarchal blessings. You're not supposed to do that. They compared and they were identical, identical, except for the names and a couple other little tiny things. But it was essentially the patriarch was just up there saying the same thing. That's why they didn't want you sharing them. So I did have it, but let me ask you a question, Aiden. Suppose you're in a town, small town here in Utah, and there's a doctor and he says, you know, I am an expert in cancer. I can cure cancer. And your mom, Aiden, she gets cancer. She's gonna die, okay? She gets a form of cancer, stage five, stage four, it's aggressive, she's gonna die. And this guy says, I can cure it. And so he says, it's gonna cost you a lot of money and you're gonna have to go through all these steps that I tell you to go through. But if you do, you'll live and your mom and dad get together and they talk and they say, okay, we believe it, we're gonna do it. And they put a mortgage on the house and they get pay the money and they do everything they wanna do and all this stuff, Aiden. And, uh, and your mom dies. She dies and your dad is broke. And the promises the doctor made under the auspices of having all the answers was a lie. The question I have for you, my 15 year old friend, is would you just sit back there in your town in Utah and let other people flow to that doctor who were suffering and had cancer? Would you just sit back on your haunches and just think, oh, it's okay, it's not my problem? If you wouldn't, and if you would go after that doctor and try to expose that doctor for who he was, knowing that you lost someone you love to his uh, uh, tomfoolery, then you'll understand me, okay? I was in the church 40 years, you know that. It has promises that people will have eternal life. This is a far more important matter than people's physical life. This is, this is people promising in Jesus' name what people need to do in order to live with God after this life, Aiden, and they have lied. How do I know they've lied? Because this Bible right here tells us, Aiden, what Jesus has said. Now, you take all the doctrines that you believe in and you compare them with a real sound reading of this Bible and you have a big problem. And you have to decide, Aiden, are you gonna believe what the Lord has said through his word or are you gonna believe what Joseph has said through 48 authors who didn't know each other mostly, who wrote and what they said, or one man in the 1800s who said that he saw an angel and told him about gold plates buried in a hill that he found with a stone and a hat. That all we're doing, Aiden, is we're trying to keep people from dying eternally by knowing the truth. We're going to Shelly in Roosevelt, Utah, on line one. Shelly, you're our last caller of the night. You're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, I have a question. Yes. First of all, according to the LDS temple ceremony, what if you don't have an arm or a hand? They have a special room where they train you to use your mouth to act as your arm. So where you're supposed to raise your right hand, you go. Are you serious? No. (laughs) Well, you can't tell me though that you can't say, well, God knows your heart. 
because then there would be no reason for anyone to do the secret handshakes and really good point you know i mean like that just wouldn't work right they would give you that well you know god understands right yeah but you're right if it's a law and it's an ordinance and you have to do it and you don't have a hand to do that I, I, you make a fantastic point shelly so does god hate people that don't have arms even a better point keep going <laughs> Okay, and then my other point is I would be so confused if I was LDS because I would think to myself, am I praying to God because he's God? He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end? Or am I praying to him just so I can become God? Yeah, really searches the heart, doesn't it, that religion? Yeah, because I would... I can't believe people are really praying to him because he's God, because you gotta be thinking, I'm gonna get credit for this. Yeah, fantastic insights. Were you ever LDS? No, no, but I've studied it inside out, and it's really embarrassing because I think exactly like you. <laughs> that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. I always say, he thinks just like I do. <laughs> So you must be calling from the uh, insane asylum. I, well, no, it's just that once you start thinking about this stuff, yeah. it just really blows my mind. And I just think, I had one person tell me that when you die, you'll have your resurrected body, and that's how you'll, you'll be able to give your handshake. Oh, interesting. interesting. And that's not going to work. Um, because you'd already have had to have done that. Yeah, that's right. To get, get where there. you were going. That's but that's right. the only thing an LDS person could tell me. Very feeble. Sherry, thanks for watching. God bless you out there in Roosevelt. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. There's a question that uh, we've talked about before. Are you happy because you're good? Or are you good because you're happy? And think about that question because it relates right into what Shelley was asking. How can they pray when they know that praying is earning points for them to become a God? How could their prayers be heartfelt toward a being that was once a man? How can your prayers be heartfelt toward a God where you know or you believe there are many of them? That's the problem with polytheism. You can't give all your devotion to one God. You're trying to spread it out among many. Really good points, great show tonight. Listen, we're gonna carry on next week and we're gonna hit on the difference between the tea of the tulip, total depravity, and Joseph Smith's answer to total depravity, which is we are all children of God. We'll see you next week here. Oh, wait a second. Go to the website if you're interested. We're sending letters to TV20 and we've received uh, a number of them. Go to the website at the top. It says click here, there's a form, you just fill it out, you hit submit, and then we print them and we're gonna deliver them in mass to the owners to say, hey, the people, they are interested in having heart on local television. Let me quickly, we just have one minute, right, Derek? Let me just give you the lowdown on this. This is the reason. We are on the NRB network. You have to pay DirecTV to be on the NRB network. That's expensive, all right? So not that many people have it, I don't have it. And so we're all over the nation. We're in parts of the world on the NRB network. But how many people outside of this valley and outside of Utah and Idaho are interested in Mormonism? Not that many. But in this valley where local television access goes out, every home in the state almost and in parts of Idaho, they could get TV20. And TV20 does a good job. They have other programs that are excellent. Bishop Earl's program, Doris Hansen's program. But it, we have a, a, a niche that we fit for that, and it's only effective when those people who are searching for truth can quietly, privately turn on their TV, hide from their spouse or their mom and dad, and watch shows like that. So we're trying to petition them to soften their heart. We, we are sorry for what we have done, and, and I am very culpable in the division between us, but we pray we can put it behind us like Christians and move forward. Go to www.hotm.tv uh, and fill out that letter tonight. Thank you, Lynn Wilder, for your book, God Blessings, and, and, and that getting everywhere in the world to change Mormonism from being what it is into a true 
part of the Christian body. See you next week. Good job, audience.